0: Welcome to the Breakwater Podcast. Our names are Kirsten and Callie, and we are youth in Oshkosh and taking over the Breakwater Podcast. We're here today to raise the voice of youth and shatter the stigma associated with substance use. Today, we have Lauren Sisler, keynote at today's We Heart You Recovery in Our Community event. Lauren is an award-winning sports broadcaster with ESPN and the SEC Network with a powerful story. Lauren Sisler is up next.
1: Welcome to Wisconsin and our community of Oshkosh. We are so excited to have you here. Breakwater's mission is to reduce youth substance use starting in Winnebago County. We joined Breakwater because we want to break the stigma associated with substance use and be able to raise the voice of youth in our community. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and why you wanted to speak at the We Heart You Recovery in Our Community event today?
2: Well, thank you so much, both of you all, for having me, Kirsten and Callie. It's uh, it's an honor to be sitting here with you all today. And I know this is a podcast and there's no video, but, you know, when we had the show open there and the music comes on, can't help but dance a little, got to loosen up dance. You know, it's all about um, dancing through life, right? Um, celebrating life's victories and um, learning from our mistakes, our challenges, overcoming Um, the challenges that we will face in this lifetime. And I love what you all are doing to bring awareness to substance use, especially within our youth in this community, because it's so important to provide education and those prevention efforts. So I'm really excited to be here. This was something that was on my heart. We heart you, obviously got the t shirt on right now um, to be a part of this event and to really bridge the gap between the recovery community and the broader community to help the community understand the importance of Providing hope and providing resources for those that need help that are struggling with substance use, and how we can be advocates for them and help them to build better lives, stronger lives, and be, you know, resilient through all the challenges that they faced.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's beautiful.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Y'all are awesome. Thank you so
1: much. This is awesome. I'm honestly like, I'm so excited because. Yesterday, I didn't read the email, but Kirsten did, and we were talking with one of our teachers, and I was like, oh my God, we're having someone come in. This like so exciting.
2: Yes, well, I was excited to come sit down with you all, especially as students like yourself, being able to do what you're doing and to take really ownership and accountability for your peers and to say, you know what, we're going to be advocates in our community for a variety of of issues, variety of topics, and this being a very important one, and I know we'll get into this later, but this is something that I think if I could go back and do this again, having these resources and having people like yourselves to advocate for others, I think is so important, and, um, you know, you guys should, should feel, you know, take good pride in that, and, um, you know, uh, applaud yourselves for the willingness to step up and be part of this, because, you know, it takes a community, it takes a village to really make a difference and make a change in a community.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you again for coming out today and doing this podcast with us. Um, We know that you've been sharing your story with others for the past several years, and we would love to hear your powerful story right now.
2: Well, I really appreciate this opportunity because I think there's so much power in storytelling. Because the bottom line is, y'all, we all have a story. We all face challenges in our lives. We all go through um, adversity, and really it comes down to how you respond to adversity because it is guaranteed in this lifetime, without a doubt. And that's one thing I had to learn because growing up, I thought I had that picture-perfect family and that picture-perfect life. And what does that look like? What picture-perfect means to me might be different to you, Callie, or you, Kirsten, because we all have different interests, we all have different Um, passions. We have different things that we enjoy doing in life and different goals and aspirations. Um, So my experiences might be different than you, but we all have a story that's unique and that's beautiful in its own way. And I think that's one thing I want to share with you all as I share my story, just the power of story and being vulnerable, being transparent, being open and saying, hey, this is who I am. I am embracing who I am. And I want to use this to empower other people to overcome challenges and to be able to navigate the challenges that life throws our way. And so for me, you know, I I grew up um, in Roanoke, Virginia, and it was my my mom and my dad and my older brother, Alan, and we were, um, you know, a, a busy family, always on the go, very athletic in the fact that my brother did three sports. I was a gymnast and gymnastics became my sport at a very early age. My mom enrolled me in the sport of gymnastics when I was three years old. Smart move by my parents because I was one of those kids that jumped around on the beds and ended up in the hospital, had to get stitches all the time, was just a live wire, literally full of energy, couldn't slow me down. And so finally, the sport of gymnastics was something that um, I really grew into and really enjoyed and came became competitive at at a very early age. And so by the age of five, I was competing, traveling all over the state of Virginia, um, competing in gymnastics competitions, and then by the age of 10, You know, I had reached the national level, so I was competing in national competitions as well. And um, when I got into middle school is when I realized that I wanted to pursue gymnastics on a different level. I wanted to go and compete in college. So that was something that I set my sights on from a very young age. But that takes work. It takes dedication. It takes a certain mindset to say, okay, I'm going to go after this, to be able to compete at a high level, to be able to sustain that level and, um, to compete in, in college. And so, you know, really my goal for that, um, Kelly, I know before this podcast we were talking about school can be very expensive, right? And so being able to find those opportunities to get scholarships, um, grant money and things like that is obviously very helpful. And so for me as someone that wanted to be a sports doctor, I started looking around at different schools around um, the country and started sending out my recruiting tapes all over the country. And one of the schools that I landed on was Rutgers University. And um, Rutgers is the state university of New Jersey. And it was a school that was really never on my radar, but they had a great academic program. They had a great gymnastics program. And really when I went for my official visit, I felt like it was a place that, you know, I, I, I could be welcomed and a place that I could call home. And so I went from Virginia to New Jersey, and um, it was a little bit of a culture shock for me. As this good old country gal, I'm sure you guys are over here. You can tell that I'm from the South, right? Got a little bit of an accent. It's okay, I get it. Um, I embrace my Southern roots. So when I went to New Jersey, it was uh, it was an experience to say to say the least, a great experience though, and one where people just embraced me, and it just felt so welcoming and. I got to see and experience so many different things that this country gal from Virginia had not seen and experienced before. And so I'm living my life. Life is great. Um, You know, I'm, I'm out there. I'm experiencing the world. I'm competing for the gymnastics team. I'm part of a team. And life was going as scripted, or at least as I had scripted it out in my mind. Fast forward to my second semester as a freshman, um, I'm studying for some exams one evening and I picked up the phone like I always did. I talked to my parents every single day when I went off to college. I was the kid, y'all, that up until the day I left for college, my parents would tuck me in every single night. So I had a very close relationship with both of my parents. They were very supportive of my brother and I. You know, they always took care of our needs and cheered us on, obviously lifted us up in our, you know, disappointments and cheered us on in our successes, and that didn't change when I went to Rutgers. I um, continued that strong relationship with them, so I picked up the phone, called them, and talked to my mom first. We talked about gymnastics practice. She always wanted to have a play-by-play of everything I was doing, and then my father, um, she passed the phone off to him, and we talked a little bit, and he had talked to me about how proud he was of me, and, you know, just to continue working hard in the classroom, making good grades, and continue working hard at the gym, and Then we said our I love yous hung up the phone and said goodbye, and that was it. So I hung up the phone. I remember talking to my roommate that night for a little bit and just having a great conversation with her and set my alarm clock and went to bed. And I wake up to a phone call in the middle of the night, and it's still dark outside, and I look at the caller ID and scrolled across it was my home phone number. So I answer with a little bit of hesitation, knowing that this was probably not going to be a good phone call. And my dad on the other end said, Lauren, I need to talk to your brother. I said, Well, Dad, what's wrong? He said, I just need to talk to your brother. I said, Dad, what's wrong? He said, Lauren, your mom died. I said, What? Like, I don't understand. I just talked to mom a few hours ago. Everything seemed fine. What happened? He said, Lauren, I can't explain it now. I need you to get on a plane and I'll be at the airport to pick you up. And so I frantically pack my bags, I get a ride to the airport. And all I wanted to do was get home because I knew that my dad could at least, you know, hug me and console me and and let me know that everything was going to be okay. So I get to the airport in Roanoke, Virginia, and as I go outside um, of those front doors to the airport, my uncle and my cousin pull up. And my first thought is my dad's probably still at the hospital taking care of things. It's going to be okay. We get in the car and we start driving and I finally work up the courage and I said to my Uncle Mike, I said, Uncle Mike, I said, where's my dad? And he said, Lauren, I'm sorry, but your dad's passed away too. And that, as you can imagine, was a moment in my life that just turned my world upside down. You know, my parents were there for for me for everything. They were the people that I relied on for every piece of advice and how to get through things and again they were just my biggest supporters always my biggest cheerleaders and truly my two best friends and now I'm faced with this reality that my parents are no longer here and I'm going to have to figure out how to live without them so I had a choice to make very quickly after they passed away two weeks after my parents passed away I had to make a choice if I was going to go back to Rutgers and if I was going to continue pursuing my education and my gymnastics career And really, um, it was a tough choice for me because I think in that moment I was hurt, I was in a lot of pain, I was struggling, and I didn't know where to go next. But my aunt and uncle said, Lauren, you've got to go back to school, you have a commitment to yourself, your university, your teammates, you have to go back and this is what your parents would want. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go back. And so two weeks after burying both of my parents, I went back to Rutgers and I continued with life. I kept moving forward. But it was a constant struggle. I cried myself to sleep at night. You know, couldn't stay above water, couldn't focus, couldn't study. My grades were failing. I literally was an A, B, honor roll student. C's and D's became the norm. I'm constantly injured. You know, can't compete at a high level in gymnastics anymore. And I am literally just drowning in sadness and sorrow and depression. And just, I was lost. I was lost and I didn't know how I was going to find myself again. And so about a year of this went on, and truthfully, what ended up transpiring in that year, and we're all, we're, we all do this when we face challenges and obviously loss and sadness and sorrow um, and disappointments, you know, I, I started throwing myself a good old pity party. And, you know, I really just kind of made excuses for myself as my grades started slipping. Well, everybody's going to understand, you know, she's the girl that lost both of her parents. Like, that's Okay. But the reality of it is, is that you don't get a hall pass in life, right? As much as you'd love to have that excuse and to be able to just kind of run with it, I realize that nobody else can change my grades but me. Nobody else can study for me but me. Nobody else can work my tail off in the gym but me. And I've got to take those next steps to be able to find success again, to find myself again, So my coaches and teammates really sat me down and kind of had that tough love meeting and said, look, Lauren, we love you. We are here for you. We have resources all around you. We want to help you get through this, but you've got to stand up and take that first step. And that's when it really dawned on me that I've got to take control. I've got to regain control of my life. And What does that look like? And yes, it was baby steps, but I realized that I've got to take control, regain control of who I am and who I want to be. And so about a year of that, again, was where the light went off, and I started putting the wheels in motion and started realizing, okay, what can I do to overcome this and to find myself again? So a lot of it was, first of all, changing my major. I went from wanting to be a sports doctor, now I'm going to be um, a sports broadcaster. And found my passion there, found my passion in storytelling, found my passion in relationships and then just continued moving forward from there. So again, it was it was not an easy journey. It was an up and down roller coaster. I did not just one night, one day wake up and just say, okay, I'm healed, I'm fixed. This has been a long journey and it has been 19 years since both of my parents passed away and it is still a journey and it is still a struggle. There are good days and bad days, but... I've drawn strength from those experiences and everything that came afterwards. And I think that to me is what's so important, you know, as we face challenges um, that we're able to kind of rise up from that. Now, as uh, I know you guys are going to have several questions for me, um, you know, one question I always get is, well, what happened to your parents? And obviously that's a part of my story, a big part of my story That, um, I used to be afraid to share. So as a sports broadcaster, I tell stories all the time, yet I was afraid to tell my own story because of how my parents died that day on March 24th of 2003. I was afraid that people would judge me, that people would judge them. I felt my parents' legacy was bound in my hands and it was up to me to preserve that legacy. My parents were both going to a pain management doctor and were both, um, prescribed very heavy narcotics to help them cope with their chronic pain and depression. My father was in the military. He had some PTSD issues, some chronic back pain. My mom had degenerative disc disease. And over the course of about four years, my parents were going to this pain management doctor and being prescribed these narcotics to help them cope with that pain. And unfortunately, they started to misuse those prescription drugs. They started taking more than they needed because they needed that to help them to function, to get out of bed in the morning, to be able to get up and, you know, participate in activities, to be able to get up and, you know, go to gymnastics practice or go watch my brother play his sports or go to our graduation. Um, And unfortunately, both of them died that same day from prescription drug overdoses because of the struggle that they were facing So not only were they experiencing the chronic pain, but also the addiction pain and having to fuel this addiction that they had every single day just to be able to wake up and live what became their normal life. And so, you know, I was ashamed of it. I struggled with that because I thought people would think lesser of my parents and would think lesser of me because of how they died. And so it has been a journey getting to this point to recognize that my parents aren't defined by how they die, but by how they live their lives. And that's what I hope everyone that's listening to this podcast can understand how important it is to think about legacy and think about, you know, people, um, and, and what they go through, because we're all facing challenges and we all face, um, decisions and we all have failures and we all make mistakes. And at the end of the day, um, you know addiction is an illness it's a disease and it's something that can consume somebody and get to a place where my parents felt trapped in silence and my hope is that we can bring this to the forefront and to ultimately break the silence and help people to know there is hope and recovery but also while we're here today let's prevent it from happening in the first place so that's my story in a nutshell y'all
0: I just want to, first of all, thank you for coming on here and sharing it. I know that it's going to positively impact so many people and has. Um, I just want to, um, going off of that, I know that you want to help future youth. And I was just wondering, what is a piece of advice that you would give today's youth that may be struggling in a similar situation to you or maybe going through their own addictions or battles?
2: Such a great question, Kirsten, because I do think that, you know, I use the word silence because there is stigma and you guys as, 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 um, youth, um, teenagers, uh, you know, things, things are, things are challenging. You're at this age right now where you're finding yourselves trying to establish your identity. Who do you want to be? How do you want to find success? What is success to you? And I think that our youth, is constantly faced with even more struggles nowadays, especially with social media and with these social norms and what is normal and, you know, how can I be stronger, prettier, Um, you know, how can I be better, how can I be loved more, how can I get more likes and more followers and, you know, how can people, um, you know, accept me for who I am. And I think a lot of times we mold ourselves into what society wants us to be because that's a social norm. And what is pretty, right? Pretty is something different to everyone. But when you see it plastered all over these commercials and social media, then you think, well, if I don't have that pair of shoes or that purse or that particular thing, or I don't wear my hair a certain way, then maybe I'm not pretty or maybe I'm not handsome. Maybe I'm not strong. At the end of the day, it's important to realize you are who you are and you love what you love and to be able to embrace that and say, you know what, I don't care if it's not the norm. I'm going to go in that direction. If it's what I do, it's what I love. You know, be a trailblazer. Like, don't be afraid to be the first one to step out of line and say, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. You know, be a trailblazer, be a difference maker and ultimately be transparent and be, be vulnerable. So kids that are struggling, right, Um, you know, that feel that maybe they want to use a substance to help them cope with an issue they're feeling, or maybe just recreationally want to have fun. I think it's so important to recognize um, that there might be an issue, but to be okay with going to someone for help. I think a lot of times we worry, oh, if I go to my counselor, I go to my teacher, I go to my parent, they're going to be mad at me, or I'm going to get in trouble. But I think we establish this open community this open communication with people and you can go to a safe space so I think what you all are doing is creating safe spaces for people to step up and say you know what Kirsten I've got this issue I don't know how to deal with it or you know I have a friend that's dealing with this or a friend's parent that's dealing with this and I just want to know how I can help or how I can step in and be an advocate and you know not place judgment but ultimately be an educator and provide awareness and really provide resources that can help them. Because I think the more we can have these open-ended conversations and people feel they have a safe space and a safe place to go, the more that you're going to find people will step up. And I'm telling you, the more vulnerable and transparent you are, it takes courage, it takes bravery, but you will find it is so freeing. And at some point you will be shackled to the shame and then those, sh- those shackles just break you free And then you get to be a trailblazer. You get to be a leader. You get to be a voice and an advocate. And then think about the residual impact that has on people. You step up to the plate. Maybe you speak out about something. Well, now you get to be a leader in that in that space. And then maybe the next person comes right behind you. And then you start to build this foundation and these walls of of power, impact, and voice that will lead people in such a positive direction. And I think you know one day you can look back at that and be like, wow, you know I was part of that movement and. You know, that's what we're here for, to to, to be here for one another and to give people a place to go to um, feel empowered, to share their stories and to to be who they are. Mm
1: -hmm. So, like, obviously, like, with something, like, so deep and saddening, like, happening to you, obviously, like, we know that you go out and speak to people uh, about this and, That can obviously be so hard because I know personally it would take me a lot to dig myself out of that hole. And it's amazing that you were able to because I know a lot of people can't. So, like, what was, like, the point where you, like, I want to share this?
2: Well, as I mentioned, it took a very, very long time. And so even when I was in college, you know, I went back to Rutgers and – You know, I think there was a sensitivity to it, right? People got to a point where they didn't want to ask a lot of questions, and and I'm sure there were rumors flying around. Well, you know, what happened, and, you know, how did this happen? And, you know, there was probably a lot of chatter behind closed doors, but everyone was sensitive to my feelings, and, you know, we really just kind of closed off discussion about it and just continued moving forward. And so for many years, there was no discussion. For many years, it was like just silencing the reality of what happened to both my parents. So I would tell the sugar-coated story of how my parents passed away. Oh, mom died of respiratory failure. Dad died of a heart attack because that sounded better to me than overdose or addiction. My mom did die of respiratory failure, but that's because she ingested a lethal amount of um, her prescription drug fentanyl. And my father too ingested a lethal amount of fentanyl. But to me, it it it, it was able to paint this picture that was not addiction. But that's because my viewpoint of what addiction was was so flawed and inaccurate, like many of us. Because a lot of times we don't know what addiction is. We, don't, we, we, we get told or we get you know, kind of lumped together in this, this system where we label things and we start painting labels on everything. And so you, know, you, you start having all these labels that what does addiction look like? And I just couldn't believe that was both of my parents. But my parents are no different than me and you. My parents are no different than perhaps the homeless man that lost his job and his family and is, is struggling with a heroin addiction. It's no different. Everyone's story and how they got there might look a little different. But everyone that struggles with addiction is, is struggling with the same issue and the same thing. And ultimately, they need help. And they need that encouragement and really those resources to say, hey, this is a disease, just like diabetes or cancer or, you know, the other illnesses that we're faced with every day. This is a disease and it needs to be treated as such, not thrown out and And hope is lost. And so, you know, I think to answer your question, um, when I got to the point where I could share my story really didn't happen overnight and there were little stepping stones along the way it wasn't until seven years after my parents passed away I know seven years that I actually even like truly acknowledged how they passed away and then at the 10-year mark is really when I started sharing and it would start maybe with just a friend a colleague someone I trusted in a safe space and then maybe I could share it with a couple people and then sitting around a table like this with a few of you all And then being able to go up on stage and share it with a group of people. And so it continued to grow. And I think really where things transition for me as a sports reporter, I get to share stories all the time. And I see the impact of story. I see how, you know, this young man overcomes some tragic event in his life. And that story is broadcast on national TV. And the amount of people that are impacted and inspired by it. And said, you know, if he can do that, I can get through what I'm going through too. When I saw the power of that story and realized that, wait a sec, like it is my job as a professional to share stories and I am not even sharing my own story. That's when I realized like how, how can I be considered um, a journalist with integrity if I can't even share my own story. And so then that's when I really, you know, you know built strength and courage and said I'm going after this thing. I don't care what people think. I'm going to stand tall and I'm going to go after it. And what I realized in that process Yes, I feared judgment. Yes, I feared what people would think. But what I found is the majority of the time when I would share my story, I can't even really think of a time where I felt truly shamed or judged by my story. People were celebrating, rejoicing. I'm so glad you shared your story. I've got a family member going through this. I know someone that's going through this. I'm battling this myself. And I'm just so thankful that you've stepped up to the plate and started this movement and you're sharing your story. I'm now encouraged to go out and share mine. And then you see the effects of it. And at the end of the day, there are always going to be people that judge. There's always going to be people that try to cut you down or make you feel lesser. You know what? You still love those people, but you just kind of scoot them off to the side and you focus on the people that do love you and support you. And I assure you, you step up, you have that courage and strength. There are so many people going through the exact same things you are, or similar circumstances and situations that you may not have any clue about. But if you step up and you be a voice, you start that ripple effect and that residual impact that you can have on the community and beyond.
0: I think that's kind of what um, like what you were saying. I feel like that with having youth, like youth, a part of Breakwater, giving um, youth a voice. I think that's a very important perspective like you were saying, and um, I also like the fact that you were saying how addiction isn't treated as serious as, like, other illnesses, and I think it is really important to bring awareness to that because it is just as important as, like, you were saying, like, cancer or whatever it may be. Um, Another question I had was I know that you touched into the fact that in the beginning you might have, um, like, had bad study habits, your grades started slipping, like, bad coping mechanisms I was wondering how over time your coping mechanisms grew into more positive ones and like what are some that you still use
2: yeah that's a great question Kirsten and and, you know I think a lot of it is just learning what works well for us you know and and I kind of learned this early in the sport of gymnastics gymnastics especially because for me you know the way I get coached might be different than the way you or Callie get coached like for me you know, some of that tough love always worked well for me. Not everyone responds well to that. So you kind of figure out what works and what doesn't. And for me, I think for a long time, what I thought worked was like, I'm going to stand on my own two feet and I'm going to flex my muscles and I'm going to be strong. Nobody can break me down. I'm this bubbly, energetic person. First one on the dance floor. <laughs> and that's what people saw me. So they're like, well, this girl, like she just lost both of her parents, but like she's happy, she's thriving, she's all these things. And it's like... <laughs> the brakes yeah that's what I that I put the perception I put out on the inside but it on the outside but on the inside I am a shell of myself I am struggling with that shame and that guilt and that sadness and really just becoming someone I wasn't and you know struggling with that identity and I think that was initially my coping mechanism is let's just paint that picture that everything's fine but when i started to break down those walls and be more transparent allow people to see me from the inside out that's where i think things really started to change so i think one coping mechanism number 1 is to again i keep using the word vulnerability and transparency but just being open and just saying i'm going to take my shot i'm going to open up and i'm going to and i'm going to hope that you know i'm accepted and these people are going to you know support me in it and you, you you take that leap of faith and I, I can assure you and encourage you that people will continue to love you and will continue to support you, maybe even more when they know there's an issue that needs to be addressed or something that you're dealing with. Um, you know, I think another coping mechanism for me too was just being able to sort of rewire my way of thinking and finding the positives, right? So, you know, I think I've always been a positive person, but you know, being able to look at things differently and recognize, okay, you know this, um, you know, this situation is is really tough. But how can I make something positive out of it? And it's almost like you make these lists these mental notes in your head. you say, okay, the pros and cons of this. Well, this is a big disappointment, but maybe this might open another door. Maybe this might help with this particular thing. So sometimes making these lists where we're able to say, okay, this is what good came out of this, and this is what maybe I would do differently or something I can learn from this um, adversity or from this challenge or from this decision that I make that I wish I could change and go back and do over again. You know, so I think those are some of the things you continue to strengthen yourself, but the more that you can just be open and the more that you can just be um, true to yourself and be authentic, I think is key. And then also having gratitude. I think gratitude is probably one of the bigger coping mechanisms I've had is recognizing things, just being gracious for the people in your life, the people that love you and support you and want to be around you, having gratitude and, you know, just looking at every day, little milestones like, oh, I got an A on a paper, awesome, you know, that's great. Or, you know, um, I had this opportunity to help this young boy that, you know, got a flat tire on his bike and I was able to help him, you know, get home from school one day, you know, taking opportunities like that and saying, you know, I'm going to take each day, some are good, some are bad. Because at the end of the day, y'all, we get to be the author of our own story of life. And there's going to be chapters in there that are going to be awesome and like thriving and excelling. And then there's going to be those chapters that are going to be... You're going to want to rip out and throw in the trash can. But at the end of the day, you get to be the author of your own book. And you get to write your own story. And so this is the one thing I tell people all the time. Learn to fall in love with your story and the more that you can love your story and love who you are, the more that you can also love others and just to continue being that powerful voice and have that impact in the community. People
0: Like, mm-hmm. I feel like especially since, um, showing like, like you said that like, it wasn't like you got over it really quick and was able to like share it right away. Like it took, it takes time yeah. and it took like bad coping mechanisms and then you found good ones. Like it's a long journey and I feel like, It's going to help, like, every step of the way is going to help so many people, like you said, that, like, are in similar
2: situations. Yeah, because I do feel like people, and that's one thing I have to reiterate, is, like, this was not, like, just an overnight, like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm fine now. Because I think people, you know, just see on the out like, what, we judge books by their cover, Mm -hmm. right? We see on the outside, like, oh, she's this sports reporter that's, like, got this, you know, great job and everything else. And it's like, hold on, there's a story there. There's a story behind that person. Mm -hmm. There's a story behind that person. And, um, you know, to me, that is so important. And also to realize, I think we all try to put a timeline on things. Like, Well, this thing happened and I should be fine by now. I should be, I should be happy. I should be fine because she did it or he did it. No, that's not the case. And we all deal with things differently and there's all different timelines. And I think the less we put pressure on ourselves because you, you're, you will naturally continue to heal with time. And um, there's still going to be tough days. There's still days that I just break down and cry and have emotional, you know, uh, meltdowns about, you know, situations with my parents. I might sit in a restaurant and hear a song that reminds me of them, and I just, you know, break down. But but that's normal, and that's part of the emotion. But also another thing you talk about the coping, like, that I love, is that I've also learned to feel my emotions more Mm. and to accept my emotions. So even when I do cry... Like, I still am apologetic sometimes, like, even to my husband. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, I like crying, I broke down. But there's almost this, like, release that you get. Like, sometimes you cry, and on the other end of it, it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, I almost feel relief, right? Mm. You have to get some of those emotions out, and that's okay. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people
0: think that they need to be good right away, but it's good to experience, like, the emotions instead of hiding. It's good to, like, let it out, like you said, and kind of get that release.
2: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Um, like how like <laughs> <laughs> like um you had like this outer shell where you presented everything perfect and pretty like like oh um, I'm still good like this barely even face me I feel like that happens with a lot of people like especially like I feel like like people around you who are succeeding especially have a big part to play in that because it's like you don't want to like fall behind and be behind were like when they're still here and you're like oh like i need to like get this done you know and be i don't want to say better but that's what it seems like a lot of the time
0: yeah that's yeah. what you were saying before where like other people make you feel like you have to be like them or feel like them when everybody feels differently like you were saying
2: i mean i look at social media right like how many hours are there in a day 24 hours in a day 12 you know 24 hours in a day and you know there's so much that happens but typically on social media even if it's a TikTok or whatever you're either seeing one frame of someone's life or maybe 60 seconds worth of someone's life on a TikTok reel you're only seeing a what they want you to see you're seeing it through a filter because it's filtered through them but possibly even the filter on you know the the device um, and you know, why do people take 500 selfies? Cause they want the best one. Well, they're not going to post one that they don't like, or that looks bad. So you're only seeing what they want you to see that you don't see everything in between in those 24 hours. You don't see when they went home and, and, you know, got into a, a little riff with their little brother or their, their mother and father, or, you know, got, um, you know, told, got cut from the baseball team or got told that, well, you, you know, you were up against five other candidates. You're just not qualified for this job you know you don't get to see all those things and I think that's where you know we have to take a step back and realize that we 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 filter ourselves every single day we filter ourselves and I was caught in that same continuum of just constantly filtering myself and y'all by the way I'm a little bit older than you we didn't have social media back then so I was creating filters long before filters even existed (laughs) okay um you know but it's so important to just Take a step back from that. Remove the filter. Just pull the filter away and let people see you for you. Because the more authentic you can be, number one, you're setting a trend. Like, be a trendsetter. Like, be be the no-filter trendsetter. Look, y'all can use that. Hashtag no-filter. Let's go.
1: (laughs) I don't know. um, A little while back, um, I was watching this video. It was, like, one of my favorite, like, YouTubers. And, like, she, like, always, like, talks about hair because I love hair.
2: And well you have great hair by the way. Thank so. you.
1: And so she meant like she was talking about like how this life coach was like, oh um there's a 20 there's 20 you live the same 24 hours as Beyonce. So what's stopping you from being greater And she was talking about how like girl, we don't even have like the same resources as Beyonce. And it's like we don't have the same like motivation as Beyonce. It's like Beyonce probably only like sleeps for like four four hours. Like I need I need a good rest and all this and all that. And I feel like I don't know. That like I feel like it's like without context, that's so different from the conversation. But I like to me, like my mind is like, Oh my god, this is like looking the same.
2: Yes. No, I think that is so powerful because we do put people on pedestals and I want that life. I want that, that car. I want those shoes. I want those material things. Um, you know, we're all guilty of it. And I have a good friend of mine, Jeremy Towns. He used to play football, um, at Sanford in, in Alabama, and then went on to play in the league. And actually now, um, he works in the medical field. He's in residency. So, um, he says that, you know, oftentimes he used to always feel like he had to, buy the best shoes you know it had to be the nikes and always had to be the good shoes and now he's rocking the sketchers and he says look it is not about the shoe and the value of the shoe it's about the person who puts value inside the shoe and so i think you have to rewire your way of thinking it's it's you know the value the value is not in the shoe itself it's in the person that wears the shoes and so you have to you have to create value for yourself and recognize you are valuable You are an asset to so many people and so many things. And you're not just one thing. You're not defined by just one thing. You're defined by so many things. And what is it you want people to remember you by? So when you do leave here, you guys are both juniors. Both of you are juniors here. Um, When you leave this school, what legacy do you want to leave behind? I think the work that you're doing with this community outreach is such a great place to leave that legacy behind. So people that are listening to this, like, how do you want to help others? How do you want to serve others? How do you want to be a voice in the community? How do you want to, you know, everyone has a different skill set, right? Um, obviously, I'm a communicator. I talk a lot. Some people don't talk. Some people are introverts. Some people struggle in these types of settings. But what is it that they're, they're good at? You know, maybe they're really good at crafty projects or things that they could go sit with someone and, and create, you know, greeting cards to, to give to our recovery community, Or, um, you know, Kirsten, you want to be a filmmaker, right? So, you know, maybe, you know, your gift is to be able to tell stories through your lens, right? And to be able to tell powerful stories or, you know, abstract stories or stories that people have never even thought about. Um, You know, and I know know you, Callie, want to be a a traveling nurse. And again, I say this now, and two years from now, you might be totally different, like doing something totally different. And oh, by the way, that's okay, too. Because I think we set these goals for ourselves and then we're so afraid to like go in a different direction. Oh, by the way, I wanted to be a sports doctor. And I realized that I don't think I really have the brain power to be a sports doctor. And also really got squeamish with like blood and like broken bones. And I was like, "Mm, I think I'm going to take a step back from that. But all that to say, your goals, visions, aspirations, everything's going to change. What you wanted to do as a child, your childhood dreams are not your adulthood dreams. It might be the same, but they're probably very different. And so, you know be moldable, be bendable, be, you know, agile, be just, you know, whatever comes your way, you know, be ready for it. And, um, and you can't always prepare for everything, but just know like you're going to build this wall of strength. And so when, as challenges come your way, it might seem like the end of the world. And then you wake up that next day and you're like, you know what, I got this, I'm going to do this. And, um, you know, you just continue to find that, but it takes time. And I think as long as we don't set too many high expectations on ourselves, then we can have more success that way.
0: Um, Like what you were saying with uh, how you used, like we have social media and you didn't growing up and what you were saying about Beyonce with how um, you guys don't have the same resources. I was wondering, are there any specific resources that we now currently have that you didn't that you wish you had at that time?
2: Yes, 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 yes. You know, I think back when I was... Um, Obviously your age and and junior high and high school. Yeah, we, you know, we obviously had DARE programs and we had different, um, you know, health related programs that would, you know, discuss the dangers of drug use and dangers of addiction and dangers of, um, you know, participating in certain events and, you know, choices and all those things. But I really, truly, when I look back, I feel a lot of things were glossed over. It was kind of like checking a box okay, we got to get through this, check, okay, through this, check, all right, we did this 12-week course on all these different things in health class, okay, check, moving on. You know, I think what you guys are doing, especially being hands-on, going out in the community, experiencing it, witnessing it, seeing it, holding it in your hands is so powerful. And I think that having those resources is tremendous. Um, And that's not to say, look, we're in a school setting. Curriculum is great having a book, being able to study through that, having someone at the, in the classroom to be able to share that. That is one part of the foundation. But how do you apply it in everyday life? And I think that is where, you know, for me, perhaps things fell short. Now I will say, full disclosure, I was very fortunate when I was 15 years old I made a decision that I wasn't going to drink and do drugs. It was a decision I made long before I knew my dad struggled with alcoholism. It was a decision I made long before I knew that my parents were struggling with prescription drug addiction. I just felt I wanted to have control. I, you know, was proud of who I was, but I, you know, I think that's one thing that was truly missing from, you know, back when I was in school is, you know, I just lived my life and I made choices, but that one choice that I made was not really contingent on someone saying, don't do drugs or this is really bad. Really, I just made that choice because I wanted to be in control. I wanted to be in control of who I was because the bottom line is, is when you give substance a first thought, a second thought, a third thought, and allow it to enter your body, you suddenly lose all control. And then you get into a place where now all of a sudden you experience this, this, this feeling, and then you've got to continue fueling that feeling. And then next thing you know, addiction creeps up on you. And it is a battle that you will fight the rest of your life. And for me, it was a matter of just having that that sort of wherewithal to say, you know what, I don't want to be controlled by a substance. I just want to do me. This is who I am, and I'm proud of it. And, you know, my friends really respected that. And so that's one thing I would say to others. You know, I'm thankful that friends respected that. So even when I became 21 and was of the drinking age, I, you know, hey, do you want to drink? No, I don't want to drink. And it was a respectful thing. People didn't taunt me or, oh, you, you know, Why are you not drinking? No, I just, they they knew that was was not something I did. And even now at 37 years old, I still don't drink. I still, I love a good glass of Diet Coke or Coke Zero. Sometimes I throw in a few energy drinks here and there. But with that being said, I think it's respecting people's decisions, encouraging people's decisions, respecting them. And ultimately, um, you know, for me, that was a huge turning point in my life. I think number one, making that decision at an early age. But let's be real. We face adversity, and sometimes we turn to perhaps the wrong things to help us do that. And I'm very thankful that when I went back to Rutgers and continued living with this grief and this pain of losing my parents, that I still didn't turn to substance, that instead I turned to the people that I love and the people that supported me. And, you know, again, there were times where I wanted to do it on my own, but I knew that substance wasn't the answer, and I think that, you know, that's something that was kind of ingrained in me And I just love that you guys have these resources now that you can teach people that, educate people, but also be hands-on with the community and just show people, you know, talking is one thing, but acting on it and showing people. And I think that's what you guys are doing, and you are doing a darn good job of it.
1: Thank you. Um, So something that popped up in my head when you mentioned that your parents were struggling with prescription drug abuse so, did that give you a sort of disdain, I guess you could say, towards, like, just because I know some people, like, when something traumatic happens, like, to someone else, they tend to, like, go away from it because, like, the fear of that it might happen to them. So, did you lean away from, like, prescription drugs after that?
2: That's such a great question. The answer is yes, because actually, um, I told you I kind of you know, flex my muscles a little bit and said, I'm going to kind of do this, fight this thing on my own. And what's interesting is actually when I went back to Rutgers, you know, it, it was, I was encouraged to get a counselor and really, I don't want to say forced to get a counselor, but it was very highly encouraged. Okay. Get a counselor. So, you know, I went through the motions and did the counseling and it was beneficial. And then, you know, um, was encouraged to take antidepressants, which obviously is a medication. And I was very resistant, very, Nervous about it. And, um, you know, then had a couple surgeries after that that required, you know, the use of, um, you know, uh, a narcotic to kind of help with the pain. Very resistant to that. And, you know, fearful, like, how could this impact me? How could this affect me? But to be honest with you, keep in mind early on, you know, I wasn't really truly fully recognizing that my parents had a problem with prescription drugs. And so I kind of separated the two in many ways but also again, put up that shield of like, I'm strong. I don't need medication to help me get through this thing. Uh, but there is that fear factor. And one thing I think I would also encourage people to, and this is something that comes to mind as you ask that question. I think a lot of times we like to compare, um, trauma. We like to compare tragedy. We like to compare, Oh, you've been through this. You've been through this. I've been through this. And I even find it in my circumstance where some people are afraid to maybe bring something up. Well, you lost both of your parents, you know, and I, I, you know, lost a grandma, but that's your lived experience. And so I think a lot of times we try to compare tragedy. Well, you know, I, I don't want to bring that up because they've been through something totally different or something, but that's not the case. Like that's your lived experience. That's your lived trauma. Loss is loss. No matter, no matter what it looks like. And so I think that's one thing where we can really lean into each other to, you know, we've all experienced loss in some way. And instead of sometimes being afraid that, you know, we're making a comparison that someone else's trauma is so, so much greater. No, everyone's trauma is their lived trauma, their lived experience. Let's lean into each other and use our experience, you know. I remember one thing that I did that helped me when I lost my grandma or whatever it may be that you can talk to that person and be a listening ear and you know, let them tell their story, let them lean in, let them cry, let them be emotional and then say, how can I help you? What can I do to help support you and be that friend, be that person. And you'll start to find that those doors of communication start to open up and then you become a resource for that person. And then, you might open doors for them that, you know, they might have been afraid to open on their own. And so I just encourage people to be an open mind, be good listeners, and to just be there for one another.
0: With all the growth you've had over the past couple of years, I just want to know if you could talk to your younger self right now, what would you say? <sighs>
2: ah, such a good question. Oh, Um... You know, one thing I think of—I mean, there's a lot of things I would say to my younger self. Um, you know, because I did always paint this picture, right—that things were perfect and things were great. And I do have so many great memories um, from when I was younger. And you know, probably one thing I would tell myself—and look, you most adults will feel this way. Most people, when you get to the next stage of your life, right—you're in your high school stage. You'll next go to college and your career and. A lot of times we see life, like, flash by, and we take things for granted a lot of times, and I think we take situations for granted. Um, you know, there was a point in my life where we were transitioning from one home to the other, and we had to live in a mobile home for um, a period of time, and I remember, you know, my bedroom just got really small, and it was just really tiny, and I was like, uh, you know, and I was almost embarrassed, like, oh, you know, like, I don't want people to come over and sit in this tiny bedroom that's just got, like, One bed in it and, you know, there's nowhere to move around. And, you know, at first I was kind of like, it it was a transition period for my family. And I look back on those days now and think those were some of the best memories I had and some of the most amazing moments I had with my family because we were sitting, the the table looks the same, you know, Thanksgiving, it might not be this big 12 seater table, might be this little card table, but the food was the same and the fellowship was the same. And the people that were in that home were the same. And I think a lot of times we look at our circumstances and, you know, my perception of that was very different because I was worried about people would think. What did I look like on the outside? Like, what do people think, you know, of this situation? And then it's like, no, you know, like "These these are my people. This is my family. These are the people that love me and support me. And looking back on it cherishing those moments, right? Cherishing those moments and not constantly looking ahead to the future. And I think we get caught doing that all the time. We're in a tough spot right now. All I want to do is get out of this moment. I want to look ahead to when a brighter future, a brighter day, or when I can make my own money or have my own job. Well, then one day you're going to be making money and having your job, and you're going to wish you were back here in high school eating some of the best pizza in that cafeteria. I laugh about this all the time. I love those rectangular pizzas. like. Mm I want to come back to it. We it's no even, good. We no. don't
1: even have rectangle pizza anymore. We don't anymore. have it now.
0: That's I an think. elementary. What
2: did they do? Why? It's like
0: it's like a huge slice, but it's so bad. It's, it's not so good.
2: Bad. Oh no, we need to bring back the rectangular we
0: pizza. We do. We do.
1: That
2: was like my jam.
1: We had different elementary schools because I actually lived in the south. You before, did? Yeah, I lived in Kentucky, <gasps> so it's like. Yeah.
2: Ooh, that's cool.
1: Yeah, I loved it there. Yeah, up here is so different, like the weather. Uh huh. Very um,
2: different. Yes. I actually am going to be covering the Kentucky spring game in a couple weeks. So I will be in Lexington. I'm excited about that. That's awesome. Bring back the rectangular pizza. That can be your next community project. (laughs) Bring back the rectangular pizza. We'll
0: get on it.
1: Yes, I love that. Thank you, Lauren, for coming in and joining us and talking with us. Where could we find more about you, learn more about you, conversate with you, connect with you.
2: Well, of course, we talked about social media. Um, at Lauren Sissler. So, of course, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. I do a little TikToking, but I'm still not quite immersed in the TikTok world. But I would love to hear from y'all. Um, if anyone has a story or wants to share something they learned from this podcast, I would love to hear from you. So, reach out, say, Hey, I heard you on the Breakwater podcast. Would love to hear from you. Obviously, um, you know, appreciated talking to both of you all, and I love the work that you're doing. So, again, um, you know, reach out, share stories, be vulnerable, and Just have fun, you know, have fun in this life. Dance through life, and when life gets you down, just keep on dancing. Thank you so
0: much for listening. If you want to hear more about Breakwater, you can visit breakwaterwi.org, and make sure to tune in for future episodes with Youth Taking Over the Podcast. You can find this podcast on any platforms that have um, podcasts like Spotify. Thank you.